Hi, I'm Kobe Greer. Welcome to the Resilience Podcast. Today we'll be speaking to Jess Roper about the resiliency of being a working mum. So welcome Jess. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Jess has a family of four. Her husband of seven years, Elliot. Her four-year-old son, Flynn and their 19-month-old daughter, Martha, with a new little one being expected in January. Jess is a working registered psychologist and has been for the last 11 years in various contexts and settings, including clinical, organisational and correctional services. Jess loves her career and feels privileged to have a role in helping others often at their most vulnerable moments, overcoming problems and achieve positive change in their life and relationships. As Jess teaches her clients the fundamentals of achieving and maintaining psychological well-being, she is mindful to look at herself and hold herself accountable. Am I doing the same? Since starting a family, In the past three years, Jess has been working part-time with adults, individuals, couples, workplaces and organisations, conducting psychological counselling, critical incident responses and conflict management services. For the rest of the time, when Jess is not at work, Jess is a very busy mum. So welcome Jess, it's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you. So to start our um, session together, so what does resilience mean for you as a working mum? There's so many, so many um, roles and hats that you must be wearing. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, Resilience to me means as a working mother, two parts to, to my answer really is the ability to get through day-to-day stresses, so running the house, child rearing and work without it compromising my emotional and physical well-being. Mm. A good test if I'm okay is I get to the end of the day and I'm tired but I'm not overwhelmed. And the second part to my answer is um, being able to respond to last minute or unexpected stresses that are outside of the norm without it leading to overwhelm or long lasting negative personal impacts. Okay, so that for that um, psychological well-being, what what do you do to maintain that balance to to build your resilience? Yeah. Yes, and it's an active practice and a conscious, deliberate practice day to day, uh, maintaining habits Mm. and I would break them down into six categories, Mm. self-awareness, mindfulness, self-care, nurturing my relationships, boundaries and having a sense of purpose, so a bigger picture purpose, uh, understanding why am I doing all of this, what's all the hard work for, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, and yeah, so with self-awareness, 
I think it starts with that. So like I said, I have to be conscious and deliberate and have these habits to build resilience and maintain resilience. And I'm continually working on my self-awareness. If I'm not aware of it, I can't change or improve it. True. Uh, to be more aware of myself, I also ask for feedback, as hard as it is, <laughs> from people I trust in my life. Uh, and I try to self-reflect on any unhelpful patterns about myself that may impact on my resilience mm. and how I am in relationships as well. I like to try and address issues. It's always lifelong learning. Yeah. Uh, don't always get it right. <laughs> so it sounds like a, a lot of self-reflection yes. as well. Yes. And I think that is helped by my job as a psychologist that I... Um, it's the environment fosters self-reflection a lot of the time anyway, so that's a wonderful way to make sure that I'm doing it for myself. Mm. Mm. And the next part to how I maintain and build resilience is the mindfulness, mm. practice of mindfulness. So for me, what that means to me is, in practical terms, I try to take calming breaths throughout the day and bringing myself into that present moment. Mm. Uh, in my work, uh, home life, that there's a parental pause. In other words, I just when I'm feeling like I'm just getting overwhelmed or it's getting really stressful or it's just all a bit too much, um, all these demands coming at me at once, I just take a moment and have a pause, take a breath. <sighs> and remind myself to come back to the I present. Like that parental pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I so it stops me stops me being reactive. Mm. Allows me to be more responsive. Yeah. Uh, and at work I make the effort to notice the time and I take breaks when they're scheduled rather than just working through my lunch break, just working through that tea break. It's so easy to do, it's so tempting to do that, but I make a really big point of putting down my work and I go and have that scheduled break, which is really important. And I think that's really good there too, Jess, where, um, you know, when it comes to self-care or mm. a lot of people think, oh, I have to do that outside of work, but it's important mm. that, that that can also happen mm. within the work, the workplace as well. So taking that time out. Mm. Really good point. And I think a lot of these points under the mindfulness do overlap into the self-care for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just those micro moments mm. and it collectively adds up to a really big influence and positive impact on yeah. how you're coping stress-wise. Yes. Uh, perspective taking. So for me... I see problems, I sort of tell myself, okay, problems are temporary, most problems are temporary and resolvable. And it just brings me back in check. So again, it prevents me from getting too stressed or overwhelmed when I'm faced with the problem. Uh, I'm not gonna say things to myself like, I'm not the only one who's felt this. I'm sure someone else has gone through this before. Uh, I'm not alone, I'm sure there's a solution or there's someone I can go to to get help in solving this problem. <laughs> it just yeah. brings me back down to earth. It brings me back down to not blowing things up in my mind as being big issues. Yeah. And I talk a lot to others. I think that's a good way for me to remain mindful 
Mm. It also helps bring myself back to a balanced thinking pattern. It regulates my emotions by talking to others because I get that feedback from the other person. Um, and I'm very aware of my self-limiting thoughts mm. at catching them when they crop up. That's helpful. Yeah, it's helpful. And I'm sure I don't catch all of them, but I try, you know, when I notice a, a limiting thought, I say, well, to myself, is this helpful to me right now? Even if it's true, <laughs> even if the thought might be true, is it helpful to me right now? Mm. And that helps me decide, you know, the next, where to bring my attention to next. Yeah, yeah. And in mindfulness as well, I, a way to, as a regular practice, I do yoga that mm. I've gotten back into after uh, a year of not practicing yoga. And that allows me to, again, physically uh, be mindful, to bring my attention to my body and also my mental processes. It's just a great time for me to, again, bring myself into the present moment. Yeah, grounding and centering, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Would you like me to talk about my self-care? Yeah, I'd love for you to do that. I think there'd be a lot of working mums out there who would be very interested. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a, a long time, I suppose, to really get what self-care means and how important it is. And I think that I learned self-care through my work in teaching clients about it, understanding why it's important theoretically, but then implementing it in my own life. Mm. And so self-care, well, there's a day-to-day -day routine. It has to be part of day-to-day -day maintenance, just general maintenance. So not only when you're stressed, you start self-caring, but you do it as just a day-to-day -day part of your routine or my routine. Mm. So I... I, I'm aware of my warning signs for stress. That helps. Firstly, Can I ask what, what, if you don't mind sharing what some of your warning signs may be? So the ones that are obvious to me are biting my nails, neglecting little self-care habits, like I might just miss a yoga class here and there, or I'll... I'll work through that lunch break yeah. um, and it might just be a one-off but I yeah and I notice though these things collectively mm. or I miss a meal because I'm too busy and I'm I'm more reactive I'm more irritable and moody okay okay <laughs> no that and that's that's great because these are some signs that may be um, recognized by some of the listeners mm. as well yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you notice those, mm -hmm. this is when you respond to upping your self-care? Yes. And so it rem I notice it, I acknowledge it, and I it's like a mental note, okay, I need to start going, I can't not go to yoga tonight, don't, let, don't try and talk myself out of going tonight, for example. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tend to neglect things that are, that are actually good for me. It's a strange uh, counterintuitive pattern. I think that's a human thing. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, yeah, I think that's a human experience, right? Mm. Particularly when we're in a stressful place, mm -hmm. knowing what's good for us. Mm. But even though with that, 
knowledge, mm-hmm. um, we're still power through whatever the situation may be. Mm. But this is a good mm. reminder mm. to it is take note of that. And I and I, it helps for me if I tell a trusted person in my life, like my husband, for example, that I need to start going back to yoga. I need to start uh, leaving work on time. Can you? Can you remind me about that? Can you hold me accountable so I know he'll be quite good in like getting onto my case about nice. it to remind me to re- <laughs> kind of st- so I don't get into that trap of talking myself out of it. Oh great! Yeah, yeah so you got that. Someone's got mm. your back. Yeah, good supportive mm. team. <laughs> mm. Yes. So sometimes I, if I give him permission to give me feedback, then that's all good. If I don't give him permission, then I might be met with a different reaction. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so another big part of self-care outside of the workplace as well um, as my personal life is keeping a routine for myself. It's not forgetting myself. I might have a routine for my children, but I have to have it for myself. Predictable patterns. Mm. Scheduling time for self-care. Uh, so again, breaks or time to make sure I go to bed on time, eating well most of the time, not skipping meals, scheduling time for, as a couple, scheduling time for me. So a balance of rest and activities. So time for me to have that extra sleep if I need it or engage in healthy activities, whether it's social or exercise. Mm. Uh, social time which is again part of self-care connecting with my friends and being with others sometimes others other parents with kids and sometimes it's just adults which is wonderful it's important as well and scheduling time for my career needs and my work needs and professional development and time to nurture that part of my identity as well yeah and sleep is crucial for me sleep is a huge fundamental part of my self-care to maintain sleep and everything it sort of falls in line a lot better if I'm getting enough sleep Mm. that makes sense (laughs) going to bed early for me is crucial yeah uh okay so another part to resilience building and maintaining my resilience is nurturing my relationships and that's in all aspects of my life so my with my husband my kids my friends work relationships family and i maintain my support network and sometimes it takes effort to do that but i know it's a good investment because that will all come back to me, you know, tenfold, nurturing those relationships. I always get that support that comes back to me. Mm. Uh, So with my husband, I ensure, well, we do our best to be on the same team. We remind each other we're on the same team. And we try and talk at least once a day and communicate. (laughs) That's fantastic. And if we don't, we, we realise it's been, we're getting busy and life's busy and we don't get a chance to properly talk and connect. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, at least we notice it and then we try and make an effort to make that happen and get back on track with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, with my husband, I guess we're, 
he's my biggest support. So at the end of the working day, when we're both tired and irritable, rather than entering a discussion and a competition of who's more tired and who should do more of the <laughs> workload, which we did get into a pattern like that, yeah. we now we tell each other our number. We just give a number. We don't have a discussion because we're too tired to have a discussion about how difficult things are in our day. And it's our battery bar level out of 100. And it immediately creates mutual understanding about how we're both feeling and our capacity then and there. Oh, wow. And then it determines who needs to step up in that moment. So if he's a 30 out of 100 level yeah. and I'm 50 then we immediately know, okay, then I'm the one that will be helping out a bit more tonight. Oh, that's so fantastic. The other, it just helps us. We don't get into a battle of negotiation no. or, yeah, and that it immediately calms down the interaction as well, that we both feel heard. Yes, yes. So we try and do that. So, yeah, I really like that, being both being seen and heard in such a... You know, challenging, <laughs> challenging. Like with all your little ones at the moment, yeah. another one coming. That there's, yeah. you know, there's the challenges of work, but also there's that challenge mm. of home life as mm -hmm. well. And so, and we don't have time to talk when the kids are around either about mm. how is your day. If particularly if there's um, stressful moments that we need to debrief with each other, the kid when the kids are around, it's not appropriate often to talk about those topics. So the best thing we can do is yeah, give the number. <laughs> And then we know where each other's at. Great. And we can talk about it later when they're asleep yes, or something. <laughs> yes, great. Yeah. Great idea. Nurturing relationships is, for me, important at work as well. So it starts with, for me, it started with choosing a supportive employer from the beginning, knowing it would be, that would be a healthy relationship. And I just thoroughly enjoy talking to my colleagues when we have time to talk between our clients and sharing, um, you know, tips and mm. about work-related matters and often talking about our personal lives. And it's just a wonderful, mm. um, positive interaction, which I really find meaningful. And what would, uh, to you, what does a supportive employer look like? Mm. So um, just for listeners, what would... For what me, yes, yeah, so a supportive you? employer to me looks like one who acknowledges your needs outside of work, for example, family needs, mm -hmm. and acknowledges the importance of my family commitments. And so when if I have to attend to a family commitment of some sort, for example, if my child's sick and I need to leave work early, at last minute, my employer, if they're giving a supportive response, would uh, respond in a way of, they would say, absolutely, mm. go and pick up your child. And they wouldn't be saying, but what about your work? And what about this? And what about that? And kind of putting on extra stress about the consequences of me having to attend to something else. So flexibility. Flexibility. Is really yeah, flexibility and allowing uh, me to take time off if I give enough notice without a lot of questioning around that. But I guess it's a mutual respect thing as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, great. Great. Uh, and checking in, like just having genuine 
value and regard for their staff and checking in with you and asking how your week's been and all that sort of thing. Just those small little interactions the make care. You, yeah make you feel appreciated. Yes, of course. Uh, so yes, also part of my support network and nurturing of my relationships is my mother's group. So I joined a mother's group when my first child was three months old and I heard a lot about these mother's groups and I was really hopeful I would get a group who would I would connect with and I luckily did and there was at least 10 mums in this group Great. and we still uh, maintain contact usually on a weekly basis we're in contact physical like you meet somewhere yeah, or physically over the phone? in contact physically we meet at a park or a play group or it might just be catching up with not all 10 all at once, but like individuals. Yeah, there's always someone to catch up with on a weekly basis, which is really important. Understanding your situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you just talk about all mum-related stuff, <laughs> vent, and also the support around whether, you know, babysitting or looking after you. They can look after your child if you, you need or, yeah, it's just wonderful having people like that in your life yeah that are in the same situation mm. and I suppose part of nurturing relationships for me comes asking and accepting help which was a learning curve for me becoming a parent that I had to get used to that and <laughs> realize that's important and I used to teach my clients how important accepting help is but now I really get it how it's actually hard to ask for help mm. <laughs> and once you get used to it and practice eventually you're just asking for help all the time and you don't feel guilty at all about it <laughs> that's great yeah people will just say no if they can't help they'll just they'll say they can't help yeah yeah so that's just taking the risk of reaching out mm. acknowledging you can't do it all and then asking yeah. someone to help yeah yeah it sounds easy, but it would be challenging for people, mm. particularly if they're independent or have been career-driven and then moving to a, mm. a new role of motherhood. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, to, as part of balancing those mm. two roles and all the other roles that mm. uh, <laughs> are among that, um, yeah, mm. support is necessary. Yes, and even though... You know, I might hold back in asking you for help because I feel like I brought it on myself. Why should my friend have to um, take the effort to help me out in something? I've created this, I've overcommitted myself, for example, or something like that. But then I just realise, you know, I, I'm human and I'll be reciprocating that support as well. It's not one way. Yeah. That's probably an important part. So there's uh, mutual, mm. mutual relationships. Um, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Uh, so another part to maintaining resilience for mm. me is maintaining boundaries. And for, yes. me, for me, I mean, boundaries is a huge topic and there's a lot of definitions of what boundaries is. But for me, as a working mother, it looks like saying no. So I want to say no and I say no instead of, oh, I want to say no, but I say yes anyway, which yeah. can be a habit <laughs> to get into. So I say no. And 
also saying yes, but selectively. So being very conscious before I commit to something and say, yes, can I actually do this? Do I want to do it? Do I have the capacity right now to do it? And that's important for good boundaries and not over committing myself. Yeah. I also learned through this practice, and it's only been in recent years I've gotten better at it, saying no, is at work and in home life, I find I'm actually achieving more um, more, more of the time. So I'm committing to something and all the commitments I'm committing to, I'm able to actually achieve what I hope because it's less commitment. So I actually have the time to get achieve them. Yeah. So I'm not disappointing people. Yeah, yeah. By over committing. And just putting all your love and energy into mm. yeah, those tasks that you have the capacity to mm-hmm. to dedicate your time mm-hmm. to. And I found a good trick to uh, delaying giving an immediate response to people as I say, oh, that's a, I don't know, that sounds like a great thing or that's a good question. I would love to do something like that or I'd love to help you. However, can I just, I'll check my schedule at home and I'll get back to you today or can you get back to me tomorrow and I'll let you know if I can actually do that thing. So it just buys a bit of time. Yes, yes. So I'm not, because often I want to help, but you know, I do want to help people and I do want to get involved in so many things and it just slows it down for me to process and think if I can actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. And another part of boundaries is resisting the urge to work more hours than what I do. Because I'd love to, I love my job, so I'd love to work more than three days a week however <laughs> boundary I know that it would I would get too stressed and it'd be too much of a commitment yeah. to achieve my work-life balance so <laughs> I stick to my part-time duties and that's okay and I just remind myself not to take on any more mm. accepting mm. of my limitations yeah and yeah I and accepting that this is where your life is mm. right now it won't be forever, but right now mm. this is where it's at and um, mm. knowing that that can change when you're ready and your family mm. are ready to for that to change. Mm. But with baby on the way as well, that's got <laughs> another dimension. Mm. Yeah. Yes, so I'll be going on maternity leave and returning to work you know, several months later when I, when I feel ready. Yeah. 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 Okay. So further on my list of building resilience as a working mother is having purpose, reminding myself of my purpose Mm. as a parent or a worker, just in life generally, relationships. So I connect with this sense of purpose regularly and it keeps me going and helps me tolerate stresses more easily if I know they're part of a bigger picture and in line with my values. Yeah, yeah. So as a working mum, um, what what are some of your your values that are important in balancing these two roles? <sighs> well, as a working mother, I, I have values in 
there's lots of different values, I suppose, but as a mother, I, my, I value time with my children. So, uh, so more time with them. And time for me means quality time. So you're actually present with them, not doing some other task, <laughs> multitasking, mm -hmm. trying to just be present with them and enjoying that time as best I can. And that for me means I can't do that if I'm working full time. So I consciously, and luckily I'm in a privileged position where I don't have to financially, for financial reasons, work full time. Mm. So if, if I work three days a week, that still allows me to have enough quality time with my children Great. before they go start school. Uh, so quality time, and that is also not with my kids as well, but with my husband, my friends, my fa other family members, that's important quality time together. Mm. Uh, bigger purpose with overall with family is, you know, a happy, healthy family where we're all going in the same direction. Um, in life together and to me that's really important so when I'm getting bogged down in the day-to-day -day stress of life and two tantruming children and they don't want to go in the car and we're run running late for something that's the parental pause right there <laughs> breathe and it's, and I remind myself hang on this is what's this all up for you know we're trying to build a relationship and and just enjoy the day together so let's not I'm not going to get too reactive <laughs> yeah 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 so what would a day in the life of a working parent look like for you <laughs> so for me I wake up anytime between 5 30 a.m and 6 Monday to Wednesday is my working days. So on those three days, I, my husband starts work at five. So I am the one that sorts out the kids. I get them ready for their kindy and daycare. Get myself ready for work in the last five minutes <laughs> of that time. At a quarter past eight, I am ready to go to work. My husband takes over because he's working from home he takes the kids off to school and kindy and I ride my bike to, off I go to work and then I get home at 5:40 p.m. and the root dinner routine is in full swing by then my husband's there taking care of the dinner routine we try and get the kids in bed by 6 and 6:45 p.m. Mm. and two nights a week I try and go to yoga straight after work so you drive right to yoga. I go straight to yoga then, from work. And yeah. then I go home. And so I, my husband takes the whole dinner, bath, bed routine off my hands oh, while I'm at yoga. <laughs> yeah. That's a great yeah. team. Great it's teamwork. Really yeah. yeah. Then there's the clean up from dinner and then the prep lunches for the next day. Do the remaining dishes. Prep what's needed for the morning. Go to bed before 9pm. That's the ultimate goal. My husband and I both try to achieve that mm. I don't bring my mobile phone into my room which was a new thing I've uh, established 
a new healthy pattern because it just distracted me. It's too tempting, isn't mm-hmm. it? Social media. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I don't need an alarm because the kids are my alarm. <laughs> don't have to worry about that. I read a book or a chapter or something and then I go straight off to sleep. And then for the rest of the week when I'm not at work, Thursday and Friday, it's all about the kids' activities. But for me, I get the social outlet with talking to other mums. I really enjoy that part. And playgroup duties that I volunteer. But again, there's lots of adult interaction for me as well with the other parents. And the ultimate thing I look forward to is my sleep-in day. So once a week, (laughs) my husband and I take turns to sleep in. I get Saturday and he gets Sunday. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely support. Mm-hmm. So what would be your biggest challenges? Um, you know, and how, how do you how do you tend to cope? Because it's been mm. 2020 has been incredibly challenging with uh, COVID and everything. So how have you and your husband managed this? Yes, so COVID was a huge challenge. Yeah. So there was the initial anxiety for us as we were figuring out what it means for us. And the first question was, how will we work from home and adjust to no childcare for two months? No kindy and no childcare options. Um, having a different routine and we had to adjust Mm. our work hours and for me I changed my work hours to from 12 p.m to 8 p.m at night which allowed my husband to work in the morning and I looked after the kids and then he would look after the kids while I went to work however the adjustment to working from home then working from a different office with all the little problems to solve like IT setup and learning about video counselling and working technology and access to resources, all of that was a major adjustment. But we figured it out. And returning home, for me, going to bed a lot later because I'd finished work at 8, so I'd be going to bed a lot later. So it was a huge adjustment to the routine of having early bedtimes for us. It did... We thought we could tolerate it for two months. So when we were planning this, we thought we can do it for two months and let's review at two months how we're coping. Mm. And we both acknowledged, well, we're going to have to make a point of our self-care. Big, the biggest one for us was sleep, so making sure we got enough sleep. Sure. We ramped up all the self-care practices rather than neglecting them more because that could have easily happened with all the other stresses we had. Yeah. Uh, we told ourselves this is just temporary we have practiced a lot of gratitude for how lucky we are compared to other families and people in the world that are really being impacted by this COVID gratitude for still having our jobs gratitude we're living in Perth WA we're a lot more protected we had a plan we had a backup plan (laughs) we focused on what we could control and we asked for help And also our employers were very supportive of juggling the work from home or working in the office for me. Again, that flexibility is so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
So in addition to COVID, other big challenges have been, well, for me, becoming a parent was the biggest life challenge ever. <laughs> and initially I perceived motherhood as negative. I didn't expect it to be negative, but my initial feeling was it was negative. But in I love but I love my child, but motherhood was negative. In what way? Um, the selflessness of it all. And I didn't enjoy, I thought I'd be, uh, I didn't expect my, all the physical oh, and emotional changes that came with having a child physically giving birth and all of the physical recovery required right. and how that is, requires a lot of attention to yourself to physically recover and look after your body and rest and all of those important things. But you, but you, you don't have that ability because you have to look after a baby. Baby. Yes. <laughs> so I, the selflessness was really hard. Mm. Huge adjustment. Yeah. Yes. Hard to accept. Um, and these little dependents. Mm. And, and I'd be like, well, I really, I'd love to take you out for a walk right now, but I'm in so much physical pain I actually can't. And then it was that Again, a vicious cycle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mainly the ch biggest challenge, maybe I didn't enjoy it as much at the beginning, the first 12 months, was my expectations were way off. Is this with your first child <laughs> yeah, in regard to first, motherhood? Definitely yeah. the first child entering motherhood. Yeah, yeah. It <sighs> just was didn't meet my expectations. I had a... There's no rule book. <laughs> yeah, I had a very obscured view, maybe like a lot of parents, of what it's going to be like. And the reality was very different, so suddenly... Uh, and we had a lot of support as well. It wasn't like we were isolated and alone. Had a lot of Our parents were helpful and we had visitors and support with meals and all of that sort of thing was wonderful. And I think it was just me suddenly in this single role of looking after a child, not having to go to work yeah. and physically my body had to recover for me. It was a long journey of about nine to 10 months of physically recovering oh. from having a child. So yeah, yeah, yeah that would have, <laughs> that was not expected. No, no. Uh, And I thought I had to get on with it. And I didn't know what was, what help was out there as well in terms of physiotherapy or all sorts of different advice, sleep help with, with the kid, um, getting your kid to sleep and all the rest of it. It was a bit overwhelming, like not knowing really where to go for help and getting conflicting, contradictory advice. So, so particularly with your first, is that sort of like, um, you were unaware of the resources that were yes. available? unaware of resources. And when I did inquire about what resources were available, firstly, I didn't really know the right questions to ask. Mm. And secondly, if I was given information, it was a long list of options. And I'm, then I'm faced with more options. Well, which one do I pick? And then you hear other people giving you other advice or 
friends saying of their experiences and so you have a a lot of conflicting advice and recommendations and it's hard to make a decision of what's the best decision for us then or where do we go yeah yeah confusing confusing (laughs) yeah confusing world yeah yeah and just with um that you're practicing you know with your second baby Mm -hmm. it's sort of like what has confidence come with that so through the um, yes. how you're wanting it and through the first experience with the child, that's like the training boot camp, one oh one. Yeah, the one oh one, and we learned by the end of a year, after about a year or eighteen months, we've kind of came out of the difficult challenge, most challenging period of the sleepless nights for fourteen months. And we knew, looking, we knew all the resources available to us and the things that worked and where to go and who to call. And it was a whole other... So when we had our second child, we already had our core, <laughs> like emergency phone call numbers and who to call and when to call them, yeah. etc. Yeah. Whether that's professionals or friends, family support and who to go to for certain pieces of advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's time. Yeah, all the challenges that come with having a when you're entering parenthood for the first time, having no sleep for fourteen months, so that our child didn't sleep very well, and of course we don't sleep if the child isn't sleeping, and that impacts on everything. Absolutely, (laughs) everything's hard if you're not getting enough sleep. Mm. But what I did, we did what overcame. I thought for me, how I overcame or came back to a balance again, back to feeling like myself again, was actually going back to work at about when my child was about 11 months through my current employer. And it was a very small number of hours per week, gradually increasing them. And that was a big turning point. Because isn't that interesting? Um, I'm curious about that because... A lot of people would think that's a contradiction. So mm. yeah, how did it how how did it help bring some normalcy for you? Uh, yes, I felt un I felt I wasn't ready to go back to work. How can I go back to work? I'm not even getting enough sleep. I'm tired. I feel like I'm not even coping with a, the baby. How am I going to do work and a baby? Mm. However. It was exactly what I needed because it forced me having a start date for work, forced me to start actually prioritising my needs, putting in place some more um, reasonable routines or realistic routines where I was able to attend to my needs uh, for whatever reason, um, sleep or appointments, time outside of looking after my child getting organised, getting my head into adult conversation mode and having, we had to create a routine and a structure and that changed everything. Mm. And Mm. I was in an environment where I wasn't interrupted, I had no, I wasn't a mother, I was was working with my clients, I had a very specific role and that all helped me get a sense of normal back again. And I could imagine that with your with your role as a registered psychologist, there would be a level of um, or a sense of validation, accomplishment, um, value giving. Whereas 
You don't always get that in motherhood, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> yes, Kobe. <laughs> That's right. So having, yeah, often parenthood is no real sense of, especially with young kids, you don't get a sense of accomplishment at all. Sometimes it's like going back five steps, mm. <laughs> anything that you do. So going into the workplace immediately you get this sense of accomplishment mm. in that you have a diary you have a schedule you have a planned day and you achieve that schedule and planned day and you're ticking boxes and you're able to measure accomplishment mm. and you're rewarded for it yeah. and acknowledged for it and you have people smiling in response to you and, and your contributions. And it's incredibly fulfilling and restoring my sense of worthwhileness. Is that a word? Uh, a sense of value. Mm. Uh, yeah. I've brought a bit of balance. Mm, absolutely. Back into... Balance. Yeah. And it's restorative. So I don't, I go into work and it fills me up. I feel restored. Then I go home feeling happy and I've got a lot more capacity to give and be loving and tolerant, etc. So it flows on. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. So just coming to the end of today's interview conversation, um, just what, what would your parting advice be? to other working mums out there? Well, <laughs> I would say you have your own, not everyone's self-care practices is gonna suit others. It's a unique personal practice for yourself. Uh, I would say strive for good enough mm. in all aspects of your life, including being a parent have a laugh, <laughs> see the funny moments in life and things are all going pear-shaped and falling <laughs> falling apart, try and see the humour in it, yeah. have a laugh. Humour's so important. <laughs> Humour's yeah. so, so important. Uh, know your self-care needs. Schedule in time to meet those needs. Having realistic expectations and communicating those to others close to you. Try to maintain good boundaries for yourself. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, you need to know what your boundaries are as well. Uh, same theme here is you can't be all things to everyone all the time. Some things have to be let go or reprioritized mm. and don't apologize for that yeah. don't feel we have to apologize for that or feel guilty that you can't be all things to everyone all the time yes and self-compassion practice that self-compassion mistakes are made a lot as a working parent you might mm. feel like you're letting down your work or you're letting down your kids or you husband or your family uh, it's okay it's normal mm. and try not to get caught in self-criticism yeah that kindness when things aren't going too good is so important isn't it mm -hmm. yeah particularly towards yourself mm 
Mm. And mm. I, I suppose, you know, role modeling that, like, I'm only human. And I, you know, when I'm as a psychologist working with clients, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, this self-compassion, like, you're only human, it's okay. It's reasonable to make mistakes once in a while. Yes. And we role model that to our children and people in our life as well. Yes. Uh, I Another big piece of advice is communication. Make sure you communicate with your partner if you have a partner or communicate with those support people in your life mm. about how you're feeling, not just when things are going well but when it's not going well. And nurture and engage your support networks. For example, if you have a mother's group or a play group with people with young children, having connection with other parents and make an effort to get to meet new people. And at first it is a big effort, but it is worth it. Mm-hmm. And the biggest final tip is reach out for help. People want to help. And if it's offered, accept it. <laughs> yeah. Just accept it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Hmm. Oh, well, Jess, it's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Likewise. So thanks, for, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Kobe. It was <laughs> <Okay>. a pleasure. <laughs>